0: So we are concluding this series on Gideon this morning, uh, and if if you've missed one of these messages, they're all available online. Love for you to go and check those out. Um, but today we have been following this this life of Gideon, and and Gideon was a judge in the nation of Israel, and he uh, and he was raised right in the middle of this this somewhat confusing phase of Israel's history. Right, this is after Joshua leads them into the promised land, and they conquer all the land, and they settle there. And then um, they, they start into this cycle that we see happen in, during this season of judges. And the cycle is where they, again, they're walking with God, everything's great, but they start to, to make compromises and they drift into sin, right? And as they, as they get, drift into sin and get further away from God, then God uh, raises up a judge. Okay? And a judge is a new leader that, that calls them out on their sin, moves them in a new direction. They find repentance and victory through this judge and then get right with God again, and then they become comfortable, right? And as they're comfortable with and in, in walking with God, then they start to drift back into sin. And we see the cycle continue uh, around and round, over and over again, as God raises up new judges, but yet with each time they go around this cycle, they get further and further away from God, okay? Which is why if you read the book of Judges in this, this again, this season of Israel's history, um, it, it's somewhat confusing, and, as well as violent right, and tragic. And we see them stuck in this cycle that's moving them further and further away from God. And eventually, they get so far away from God that we see this reoccurring phrase in the book of Judges in the last part of it, right, which says that Israel had no king, and they did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, and we see again that they the cycle takes them so far to where that is true. Right. And then they end up at this place where God raises up Samuel um, as as a prophet and a judge, and that brings them then a their first earthly king in King Saul. And so we see again this this season between you know conquering the promised land and an earthly king, we have these tragic stories. Now, Gideon is a judge right in the middle of the story. Okay, he's he's right where where they're not completely horrible yet, but they really are starting to drift pretty far away from God. They, and yet, in the midst of this, God raises up Gideon, and we've been walking with him through these different phases of his life and of his leadership and seeing that the, the transformation that God brings to Gideon, and not just him, but also to the nation through him. We saw in the first week where Gideon started, I mean, God, as God starts brings this up to Gideon and says, hey, I'm going to raise you up a judge. Gideon's response is, you cannot do that, God, because I am the weakest of the weak. You can't accomplish anything through me, right? And yet God takes him through this transformation journey, right, and raises him as a leader. And we, we've seen over these weeks, right, how uh, God has truly used Gideon in miraculous ways. And today we're going to see how big that influence really is. But as we look back over these few weeks, we've had a big idea from each message. The week, week number one's big idea was that God's plan is bigger than my viewpoint. And then last week, we saw the big idea that with God, the math doesn't need to make sense. And then it leads us to today's big idea as we conclude Gideon's life. And we look at this last chapter uh, in Gideon, or in Judges chapter 8, um, but, and our, But our big idea for today is this, is without proper focus, even good things can turn unhealthy. Okay, without proper focus, even good things can turn unhealthy. And we will see this as it plays out in Gideon's life, and we see these, these warning signs that we need to heed as well. Now today we're going to start with the same passage we ended with last week. Judges chapter 7 verses 9 through 25. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Judges chapter 7. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, their Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. And you'll notice the page numbers included in the outline are where you can find these verses in those Bibles. So I encourage you to follow along with us. So as we open to Judges chapter 7, Okay, verses 9 through 25, this is the passage that I read last week and ended the message on last week. So I'm not going to read it again because we read it last week. Like I said, if you missed that or want to go back and read it yourself, you can find the recording of last week's message or go ahead and read it yourself. But within this passage is where the victory of of the, the actual battle happens and they find victory over the Midianites, right, under Gideon's leadership. Like I said, as we read it last week, they, um, we saw how Gideon finds victory. He finds it in a very um, strange military tactic, and how he defeats this countless army of the Midians. As we see in this passage, it says that they, they were—it they were, was countless, right? Like you, there was more than you can count. I mean, this is a ginormous army, and yet Gideon leads into battle with 300 men. Okay, and he defeats them. Now, how he defeats them is he grabs these men right in the middle of the night, and and under God's direction, they each go out. Not even with a sword or even a weapon, they go out. Every man has a ram's horn in one hand and a torch in the other hand. Okay, and this torch, they light the torch, and they they then they cover it with a clay pot as they march out in the middle of the night. Okay, and they walk out with their 300 men. They surround this camp, okay, which is of of countless warriors that are obviously asleep in the middle of the night, right? And the instruction that Gideon then gives to his men is saying, this is how this is going to work. Okay, what I'm going to go out there is we're all in place, right? We're going out in the darkness, then I'm going to blow my horn. And when you hear me blow my horn, I want you to blow your horn too. Okay, and then, so then they all blow their horn in, and, and after they all blow the horn, they all break the pot that's covering the torch, all right? So now they go from darkness, and now this they're not only surrounded by this loud sound, but yet now this rush of light comes into the camp. Okay, and as they do that, they shout. And then with them, so now you can imagine the chaos that ensues inside this camp in the dead of night, right? Is it dark? All of a sudden, they're awoken by this loud ram's, you know, ram's horn blast. Then this light comes in from every direction, and the whole camp erupts in chaos, and all of the warriors end up fighting each other, right? And they literally kill their own army, right? They start fighting in the midst of this chaos, and they, they, uh, they defeat themselves, right? And Gideon and his, and his 300 closest friends are all standing there watching this happen, right, as they're holding their torch. Now, in the midst of all this chaos, a few of the Midianites realize what's going on, and they say, hey, we shouldn't really, you know, defeat ourselves. And they escape. Okay? And, and now they're on the run. But enough of them are killed to where these 300 can take over those that are fleeing. Okay, now as we look at this, this, um, this symbolic way of them taking, it is very symbolic in the way that, that God conquers this army through Gideon. Okay? We see the symbolism all throughout Scripture where light represents God's presence. And darkness represents evil. Okay, not just in this story, but we see it all throughout Scripture. And here, right, there's very symbolic of as Gideon brings calls the nation back to God. Right, it is the light that brings them victory. As it pierces the darkness, right around the camp, and as we see this again, we see the symbolism, right, of even of Gideon's leadership. Right, as it is leading this whole nation, back to God and to his presence. And yet, we see this in Gideon, and this reason why I want to come back to this and the symbolism that comes, because then we see this very important point in Gideon's life, and that is this. As the light of God became brighter and brighter in Gideon's life, pride started to creep in as well. Again, God's Light getting brighter and brighter in him. I mean, Gideon went through this amazing transformation that we've watched over these last weeks. And yet, pride started to creep in as well. And we see this in the strategy of the battle. Because the truth is that victory can be dangerous. Right? Victory can be dangerous because victory changes us. Right? And the more successful we are, the more victory we find, even in our faith journey, the more that we start to lose focus from what actually got us there, which is God's power and God's presence. And yet we our, our own egos can start to, to leak into our viewpoint. And we see this happening with Gideon. Now it's very subtle, okay, but it's starting to happen even during this battle. Okay, and we see um this, this military strategy that Gideon uses is similar to how we saw God work through his army before we see now Joshua was the leader that took Israel into the promised land and conquered and the very first victory they found was against Jericho Hey, okay, now Jericho is, is is in again in the book of Joshua Joshua leads them into the promised land they march around the city you know several times for several days and on the last day right they go around the city seven times they stop they blow their horns, they shout, and the walls of the city come crumbling down, and they take over the city. Right? We see this happen in Joshua chapter 6. Okay, again in verse 16, the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people shout for the Lord has given you the town. Okay, so we see again this is a very similar strategy. Right? You see that, and as they do that, not, not only was this the first victory right, for, the, for Israel, but it also showed everybody in the promised land that, that God is behind this army and you're in trouble, right, because you, God has, is, is leading them into victory. This was a miraculous victory, and the same is true with Gideon. It's a miraculous victory. It's God's presence, and God does this, right, and we see the same thing happen in Judges 7 verse 18. As Gideon says, and now as soon as I And those with me, blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, and all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, again, ram's horns, shouting, right? This brings in the victory, but what's the difference? The subtle difference is what they shout. Compare what they shout to what they shouted with Joshua. Right, With Joshua, they said, the Lord has given you the city. And yet with Gideon, it's for the Lord. And Gideon, right? Gideon throws his own name in there. Right? no, I think that's exactly probably the way his attitude was. He was like, "Yes, for the Lord." And Gideon, right? And that's the way it started out. But yet we see it start to creep in. Right? And we see Gideon's focus is, is as as in his newfound confidence. And right, I mean, he's come a long ways. And yet, yet as the pendulum continues to swing in his life, he now has more confidence than he needs in his own leadership. But as, as we see this start to creep in, in Gideon's life, it's moving him towards an unhealthy place. And yet this also matches the bigger picture we see happening with Israel in the whole book of Judges, that with every leader, they get further and further away from God. Remember, Joshua started this whole leadership cycle, right, with huge victories as they conquered the land. So what's the lesson for us? The lesson for us here is that even in times of success are also when we have to look out for attacks, especially in times of success, we have to look out for attacks because a good scheme of of any enemy, right, is to attack when it's least expected. Right, the surprise attack is far more effective right, than announcing, here, we're coming. You know, If you walk around being like, ready or not, here I come, right? Like that's not a very good military strategy. Right, attack when it's least expected, and that's exactly what the enemy does in our lives. Because in those times of success, as we're celebrating victory, the enemy is hard at work. When we aren't watching for it. In fact, Paul gives us this warning in 2 Corinthians 2.11 as he's talking with, with this church in Corinth that had all kinds of strife and trouble. Right? And yet part of the advice he gives in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. All right, one of the main schemes of the enemy right, is to attack when we're not expecting it. So even in times of success, we have to look out for those attacks. Right, we know his schemes. Let's not be taken over by those things again. And yet we see uh, again more, a more personal warning from Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, when he says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Again, what's creeping in, what's creeping into Gideon's life is pride. Right, and as we see that, right? Paul even warns us against that, is especially in times of success, hey, watch how you view yourself. Do not think of yourself more than you should. Right? But yet when you do evaluate yourselves, compare yourself to what? To your faith in God. Again, what does that mean we do? That means we go back to the gospel. Right? We acknowledge where even our success and our victory comes from. Right? It comes from God and from his spirit and from his power. Right, and even when we go back to that, right? Well, how do I compare that? No matter how successful I am and how powerful God works through me, I still need the gospel because I am still a sinner. Right, it's saying don't, don't view yourself, don't, don't let yourself get too, uh, too high on your high horse, right? Go, remember the gospel. Go back to the faith you have in God, right? And make that always get you to refocus on who really brought you victory. Because we have to watch for these attacks, right? The attacks of the enemy, right, is to get our focus off of Christ and off of what actually brought us success, right? And to push us, say, hey, good job. Look what you did. Right? Are the lies that the enemy loves to throw in to our own ego. And as we see this, again, this story now continues as we start to see Gideon um, kind of being attacked here with his own pride. Okay, as the story continues. Okay, is is as these, these different people escape. Now um, now Gideon calls in some of these other tribes of Israel and says, hey, these guys are going out there, like grab them, like you know, secure the victory. And and they show up and they do that and and they 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 pursue these these other um, you know Midian commanders. Right, they're, they're called in Okay, and yet then they, they seal the victory. Right now, in the midst of that victory, now these, these other tribes and, and leaders of these tribes, they, they come back They come back to Gideon, okay, with, with the heads of the generals, right? And like, they're like celebrating in victory. And, and we see all of this happen, right, as they, as they claim victory over the Midianites and, and secure, again, their, their power place as Israel. And we're gonna pick up the story in Judges chapter eight, verses... 1 through 4, where it says, Then the people of Ephraim asked Gideon, Why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you send for us when you first went out to fight the Midianites? And they argued heedily with Gideon. But Gideon replied, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't even leftover grapes of Ephraim's harvest better than the entire crop of my little clan Abiezer? God gave victory over Oreb and Zeb, the commanders of the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to that? When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. Gideon then crossed the Jordan River with his three hundred men, and though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. So these other Midianite commander or Israelite commanders, you know, come in and they 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 capture the Midianite commanders and they seal the victory and they come back to Gideon right at the um, at the Jordan River where they where they meet up. And yet we see that even in a time of miraculous victory, Gideon must deal with turmoil. Right? This is where Gideon's really tested as a leader because here he's, he has this, this miraculous victory over the Midianites. I mean, they just defeated this countless army. Right? And then he calls in the reinforcements and, and the, the other tribes of Israel show up and they, they, they finish the job. Right? And then they come back to him, and when they come back to him, they are not happy. Right? And there is turmoil in the midst and the ranks of Israel. Right? And, and this is in a large scale. We see turmoil through the entire country. Right? As they come back to him, we see in verse 1, Right, the people of Ephraim ask Gideon, Why have you treated us this way? Why didn't you send for us earlier? Right? And, and Gideon's sitting back, right? I'm sure he's thinking, I did, and you didn't want to come. Because he did. Right? And then even those that they did show up, right? he sends a bunch of them off through God's leading right? and gets, you know, pairs it all the way down to 300. And again, they argue heedily with him, even in the middle of victory and success. He's dealing with this large-scale turmoil within the nation. Right? And as they come to him with these complaints, we see Gideon uses his newfound leadership ability Right, and following the example of how God had treated him, and he walks him through all of this, and he reassures the tribe of Ephraim right, towards a peaceful reconciliation. Again, we see this continued transformation of Gideon and his leadership, and God has made him into a really strong leader here. Right As we see in verse 3, and he walks him through, and he's like, when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. Again, he was able to smooth over the waters within Israel. And yet we see this tension starting to rise between the tribes of Israel. This is the first time in the book of Judges that we see the possibility of civil war within Israel and the tension between the tribes as it starts to grow. And it starts to grow as they get further and further away from God. And in fact, this is the conclusion of the book of Judges. And the book of Judges actually ends with Israel in civil war in Judges 20 and 21. And this is the first time we start to see that tension, again, as they, as they move further and further away from God. Now, we see this turmoil in the country, and now we also, though, see this turmoil within Gideon himself. Right? Gideon, in verse 4, crosses over the Jordan River and now chases the remainder of the army, Right, again, to, to get the rest. Because now they're all scattered, and he's like, now we've got to finish the job. Okay? And now Gideon, crossing the Jordan River, is symbolic of this bigger picture of him crossing a line within his own heart. We see in Judges 8.4, it says, Then Gideon crossed the Jordan River with his 300 men, and though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. Again, Gideon not only crossed the river, but the, the, the river is very symbolic of him crossing a line in his own heart. As we see this pride starting to well up in him. Okay, with that is we see Again, Gideon does not refocus and refuel. And yet his own pride and selfishness reaches an unhealthy place. And after this moment, he starts taking matters into his own hands when the next problem arises. Because the next problem is right around the corner. Right? As we see through verses 5-21, through 21, okay, Gideon takes his three men. They're chasing them. They show up into some of these other cities within Israel. Right, again, their relatives, they come to them like, hey, we're tired, we're exhausted, we need food, we need resources, help us out. Right? And they, they tell him no, but not only do they refuse to help him, they also kind of taunt and mock him about the fact that he would even take 300 guys and try to find victory. Right? And now Gideon, as they, he's like, fine, I don't need you, and they keep going on. But he vows as he walks away, he's like, but I'm going to come back after we find victory, and I'm going to deal with you. And that's exactly what he does. But he, he follows, he goes off, he they 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 completely defeat the Midianite um, remnants, and then he comes back to these these few Israelite cities, okay, and he and he takes matters in his own hands and he takes revenge on them. Okay, and he ends up killing a whole bunch of Israelites himself and tearing down some towers and parts of their towns. Okay, and we see this pride reach an unhealthy place in Gideon right, to where he takes matters into his own hands. And yeah, Gideon had warning signs happening in his life, right, that said, hey, you're going to a dangerous place, right, time out, stop. And God's trying to tell him, stop. You need to refuel, you need to refocus. Okay, the first warning sign we see in verse 4. Okay, and here in verse 4, I encourage you, underline this phrase, though exhausted, they continued. Underline that phrase. Though exhausted, they continued. And next to that underline, right in the big words, warning sign. Even though they were exhausted, they continued. This is a huge warning sign. Because when we are worn out, and when we are tired, we do things we normally wouldn't do. And when we are exhausted, we say things we normally wouldn't say. Right? And we will hurt people we normally wouldn't hurt. This is a huge warning sign. And yet, even though they were exhausted, they continued on. And yet, we do that in our lives all the time. This is a huge warning sign for Gideon. And then we see the warning signs continue, even as we see the story continue. Right, after this, after gets then now the rest of Israel comes back to Gideon, they see his leadership, and in verse 22, they come to him and say, Gideon, we want to make you our ruler, right, rule over the entire nation. Okay, and then we see Gideon's reply in verses 23 through 24. But it says, but then Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will, the Lord will rule over you. However, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you've collected, from your fallen enemies. So again, Gideon gives them the right answer, right? The right answer is, no, God is your king. Don't make me your king. God will rule over He gives them the right answer, and yet he still takes advantage of his authority and says, by the way, give me some of your gold that you just got out of this victory. And then what does he do with it? We see in verse 27, it says, now Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold, and he put it in offer his hometown. But soon, all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it, and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. Again, he continued down this this dangerous place in his life to where it became very unhealthy. Not just for the nation, but also for him and his family. It was a trap. Again, as we realize that, and look at that again, what's the other warning sign? Well, the warning sign is the fact that Gideon gave the right answer, but his actions were completely the opposite. Right, and this is another huge warning sign for us, right? When our words and our actions do not match. Because as our integrity starts to wash away with our own pride, we can still give the right answer, but our actions, are so far from what we say. Right? And this is, a, this is another huge warning sign that it's time for us to refuel and refocus. Saying one thing but doing another. Right? It's time to pause. And what's the lesson for us? The lesson for us is to learn the warning signs that show a need to refocus and refuel. Right, we need to refocus, we need to refuel, because otherwise we drift from what God wants us to do, and we see Gideon do that. Just like we saw with Israel, just like we see with Gideon, it is true for our churches and our organizations and our families on the bigger scale. If we don't refocus on Christ, if we don't refuel and rest sometimes, if we just stay busy and low exhausted we continue on, And all those things, right, is that our churches and our families and our organizations will drift from what they were supposed to do. And the same is true with us as individuals in our own faith. If we don't heed the warning signs, we will drift. In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? We know the answer to that question. No, it's not. And yet, if we don't heed the warning signs, it's, it's easy for us to drift away from the gospel message. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do here. Go back to the foundation. If you see the warning signs, go back to the foundation of the gospel. Give up your life all over again. Take up your cross, right? Give it up. Come back to the foot of the cross. I mean, let Jesus redeem it again. Again, what did he say, right? It's it's not worth it. Like, your soul is the most important thing. You have to refocus on Jesus. Again, how do we refocus? What do we refocus on? It's Jesus. It's Christ. It is the gospel message. No matter how victorious and successful I become, I still need Christ in my life. I, I need to, to focus on him. He needs to be the destination of my journey always. And as I, we see that, again, I understand this is the churchy answer, right? It's in church, he, Jesus is the answer to every question. Right? What do I refocus on? What are, how do I, geez, it's the actual answer, though. It's the real answer, Jesus. Because he is the answer. What do we refocus on? It's got to be him. And as we realize that, we come to our series conclusion. Okay, and this is the overall conclusion of the, of the whole story of Gideon. Right, as we see that, is that one person can have a big influence. One person can have a big influence. We see this, again, this, this transformation that Gideon goes through, right? That God takes him and how God lead, makes him into this incredible leader. Right, you see in Judges 8.28, the conclusion of his story. says, and that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. And throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. 40 years of peace because of one man that started out saying, I'm the weakest of the weak. There's, you can't do anything through me, God. But God's plan was way bigger than Gideon ever realized. Right? And he had incredible influence. God used him in incredible ways. And as we look over the big ideas again of this series, that God's plan is bigger than my viewpoint. That with God, the math doesn't need to make sense. And with but without proper focus, even good things can become unhealthy. Right, we see all these play out in Gideon's life, and conclude with one person can have incredible influence for Christ. Because what happens after Gideon dies? And this is the, the, the conclusion of Judges eight, okay, verses thirty three through thirty five. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal beareth their god. They forgot the Lord their God who had rescued them from all their enemies, surrounded them. Nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, despite all the good he had done for Israel. Again, now we see Israel go into the next round of the cycle as soon as Gideon's gone. But yet, God used one weakest of the weak man. To have incredible influence over an entire nation. And the same is true for you. If we follow that example and if we focus on the right things, which brings me to the end of my final thought for this series, and that's this Gideon was transformed and used by God to accomplish incredible victory for an entire nation. And God can do big things in and through you too if you trust his plan, listen to his voice, and stay focused on the true destination. Of your journey. Again, I don't know how big a things God wants to accomplish through you. But what I do know is that no matter what it is, is that you will do it by God's power and not your own. Right? And that starts by you joining the journey of faith by receiving Christ as your Savior, inviting him into your life, Right, and then learning the warning signs and refocusing and refueling when that needs to happen in your life, that you never take your eyes off of Jesus. And that is how God can accomplish big things through all of us. He is the answer. It's Jesus. Lord God, that is our prayer this morning. God, that we want you to know we love you. And God, no matter how much we lose focus, God, our pride can seek in. God, help us to fight back, God, against anything that pulls us from you. God, that we won't be target practice in this spiritual warfare anymore. God, that we will be refocused and refueled with your power. God, that with every victory and success we find in you, God, that it would push us closer to you. God, not let it pull us away. God, as we go this week, as we shine your light in this dark world, God, help us be like Gideon, God, to use your light. God, to continue to be transformed. God, to have big influence in that whatever you needed us to do and accomplish. As we go this week, Lord, continue to lead us, guide us, refocus on you and your spirit. We love you. We thank you for saving us and for using us for your glory. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.